This week on Dig Me Out. Everybody want to talk to me, they want to give me good advice, and I send me free when I in one ear and out the other. I would never sit there, did you do my brother? Insults all dressed up as aid, who the hell was asking me anyway? Don't condescend and don't talk down, who would like to do the mayor of Pinion Town. With I your hosts, no Jason Zia and Tim Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, my friend, my co-host. Yes, sir. It's time for another patron-selected review. Gentleman who has been with us a couple of times before. Always with the interesting picks. Last year, it was a very special episode with regards to Tool. We did Enema. And then uh, before that, we did Laid by James. And if you're familiar with our guest pages, you'll know by now that that's Patrick Testa. Welcome back, Patrick. Hi, Tim. Thanks. Glad to be here. Hi, Jay. Howdy. How's it going? Good. It's good to have you back. Yeah, I'm excited about this, you know, because uh, Tool was a little bit of a of a departure. I kind of uh, went into a, you know, different, you know, instead of reviewing from my perspective, instead of reviewing, it was more of a kind of an expose on experience with the band, which was, uh, I thought was pretty cool. It was fun to do. It was a little nerve-wracking, but for myself, <laughs> because I we got a little personal and stuff. And but uh, besides that, uh, it was awesome. And um, James, of course, uh, was an awesome show. I remember going to England to see them when I was thirty years old. So that was that was kind of like a memoir of mine, <laughs> a memory of mine. Uh, but now. Are we introducing the album already? Yeah, well, I was going to say these are diver- this is three three diverse yeah. picks. Yeah, I was just going to say what's the pattern here? Okay, this is the pattern. I've actually this is like a cleansing. So, for your show <laughs> in my mind. Lately, you guys have been getting really entrenched in like producers and production quality and tones of guitars and and you know, and then you say, "Oh, that I'm just nitpicking here," and you know this kind of thing. And I wanted to throw you a record that has nothing to do with that kind of stuff. And it's hard to review this album if you're gonna try to nitpick the uh, production quality because it was recorded in a basement, and some of those basements that it was recorded in had no floor. It was like a a dirt floor, I guess, in in somebody's house. So I wanted to throw a curveball at you. I don't know how big of a curveball it is in your mind, but. It was something that I thought maybe we could uh, have a, a different type of a conversation about, just for the fun of it. And that album is? Oh, yeah. It's Hamill on Trial, 1999, Chooch Town, which was, I believe, his fourth studio release at that point, 1999. And it was a independent release on um, what he called Such a Punch Records. And it came right after... His stint at Mercury Records, he was on uh, Mercury for two albums, and uh, that didn't work out too good for this unique type of performance piece. So he uh, went on his own after that. I remember when he was on Mercury, because that was when we were in college, and someone in 
the the radio station. I went to their dorm room. I don't remember who it was or why I was there, but they were in my dorm. So it was just like walking down the hall and they had a Hamill on trial poster in their dorm room. And I did not listen to them then. So I had no idea going in what this sounded like. I just know I knew the name from that poster right. in, in 1996 or 97, whenever one of those two albums came out. Right, that that was 90, uh, 95 and 97. And the other reason I picked Hamill was because last year was an artist that sold 3 million records or an album that sold me 3 million records. So I wanted to pick an artist that sold 300 records. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's also been on uh, Righteous Babe, which is Annie DeFranco's label, and New West Records, which is... Yeah, he's been on New, Rich, New West for a while, and uh, the Righteous Babe thing worked out great for him. I think it was a, a big jolt to his career in the early 2000s, um, the early aughts, as you like to say, and I like to say as well. Um, but yeah, that, wor- that worked out great for uh, Ani's label, because he was opening for Ani, and they were able to record... Every show that he did, I think it started in 2000, right after this album came out, actually. And um, some of that got released on a, a live album called Ed's Not Dead, Hamill Comes Alive, which was um, technically it was on another label. But I think Righteous Babe used some of that material for uh, one of their releases as well. How did you discover him? He came to the radio station I was working at and blew me away. I was produ- I was the uh, audio engineer and he walked in with his guitar and um, his bald head and an attitude and a great attitude and a very strong presence and performed like n- nobody I've ever seen before. He took an acoustic guitar and, like I've said before, turned into a weapon. It was amazing what he could do with it. He just hammers that guitar, especially live, and... It's um, he'll occasionally put a you know put put an electric um, sound on that guitar when he's playing live, but most of the time it's just amplified acoustic, and it still sounds like a monster's in the room every time he plays. So he was doing that in the studio, um, and I was blown away. I thought, man, this is amazing. Plus, he was. You know, actually, the first time that I heard him was that day, and then I went and listened to the record. Uh, that was 1997, so the Chords Mightier Than the Sword was out on Mercury, and he didn't, he wasn't cussing, he wasn't <laughs> anything like that. So when I listened to the record, I'm like, oh wait, he does other things too. <laughs> but he was able to uh, to turn it into a radio show very professionally, and but still had his theme. Veracity it was really something else. Jay, were you at all was... familiar? No. <laughs> okay. I thought, maybe, I thought maybe it was a reference to Mark Hamill. <laughs> um, well, he's a lot different. But after, when when Chooch Town came out, out in '99, he came back to the station, and you know, I I don't know how much research he tried to do on him, but there's not like a whole lot of stuff out there on on the internet world uh, about his history, but uh, I didn't know he got dropped from Mercury. I just saw that the next label was, or the next album was on Such a Punch Records. I didn't know what that was. When he came in, he said, "So, what'd you pick off the record to play?" And I said, "Well, um, it's kind of hard to play some of these songs, you know." 
uh, not just because of the lyrical content is, you know, is is not great for radio, uh, but it's, it sounds like it was recorded in a basement. I mean, and he's like, it was, damn it. <laughs> so he got me right there and I said, OK, now that, I'm, now that I know where it came from. It, it takes on another life because then you listen to it with a whole new set of ears. You're like, oh, this is exactly what he was trying to do. I thought it was like, man, this guy ran out of money and this is, you know, this is all he can afford. So then I listened to it again. I'm like, wait a minute. Wh- what did I miss here? And uh, so Chooch Town itself became my favorite album when it came out. Um, I don't know. I, I think it probably still is my favorite album of all of his records. He's still got more uh, coming out these days. I mean, he keeps putting records out. Um, and they're all amazing in their own right, but I think Chooch Down has a little bit of urgency that I really liked in his as far as the studio recordings. Nothing compares to him live, actually. And somebody said that on on Patreon in one of the uh, comments. So he does have a little bit of a connection to Columbus. Do you want to explain that? Um, well, he, uh, I'm, are you talking about his, his tour manager maybe? Well, there was the stuff about him, um, that I read in 2018. He did the music and lyrics. Oh, right. Shadowbox. Yes. Yeah. Very, very recently he was. Yeah. So he was always, uh, when I was on, uh, radio, we, we promoted him a lot. Uh, we really, it really fit in with, with our, musical format we were doing all kinds of stuff you know lou reed and when we would go back and and play old stuff mixed in with new stuff we would pick uh artists that weren't exactly radio friendly on every other station you know and so he fit in perfectly and so he we got kind of a little bit of following here every time he came he played in a different venue and he did well and um so i think he had something in central ohio already um building and then one of his um, one of his buddies, Ricky C, who you might know from yep. historic histor- historical bands here in Columbus, Ohio, he became uh, Ed's tour manager for many years. So he took him, he drove him around. Every time he came to Columbus, he would drive him around to everything, and then he would actually go on the road with him too, and do all kinds of stuff for him. Uh, so that was a, a connection. That was probably dating back to. You know, around Chooch Town, all the way through, you know, his maybe up till his right or before Chooch Town, but up through Righteous Babe Records era till 2006, 2008, something like that. And then, like you said, he um, he was commissioned to write the music for a musical down at Shadowbox, Shadowbox Live, which um, uh, it was actually incredible. I don't I don't know if you know the history of that show. It's one of the the premier rock and roll theater shows in America. And they've th- thrived here in Columbus for a long time, probably two decades at this point, or maybe more. Um, I don't even know how long, but the leader of Shadowbox passed away from cancer. Well, the rest of the crew and, and, and the talent wanted to dedicate a show to him. So they wrote uh, a show called fuck cancer and they needed music for it, and they picked Ed Hamill to write the music, which turned out to be a perfect match. So they ran that show for a few months in what'd you say, 2018? I think it was that yep. year. So yeah, he didn't, he wasn't in the show. He just wrote the music, and then he came and performed at a few of the 
um, opening show or you know, opening nights and that kind of thing. So just a little history on Hamill on Trial. History of the band. It's actually uh, just Edward James Hamill. That's the basically the band. Um, do you know, does he play all the instruments on his records or does he have people play? No, on the, uh, the early records, um, you know, I, I used to know who was on those Mercury records, but I don't know. I, I forget it right now, but no, he doesn't play the other instruments. He writes and sings, plays guitar. Um, some of the songs are just him, as you can tell. Right. Um, okay. And and then Chooch Town was really him and, and some of his friends. And he got a, he got some people that really they weren't even um, true professionals, I believe, to play uh, some of the instruments on Chooch Town. So was, yeah, no, that's, he doesn't play the horns or anything. Which there's some horns on on uh, the Mercury albums and some of the Righteous Babe records. But is there anything on Chooch Town? Did you notice any horns? I can't even remember now. I don't remember any horns. Yeah. Um, so born in Syracuse, New York. And um, like you said, he's bounced around independent labels, Mercury, Polydor, and then yeah, I think that's Righteous Babe. That, uh, yeah, I think they were like, yeah, I think Polydor is like the English right version of Mercury. Yeah. Uh, in 2000, he had a car accident. He had head and spinal injuries, and then recovered from that and put out the "It's Not Dead" Hamill Comes Alive album that you mentioned. Um, pretty much very consistent in terms of records uh, consistently. Then there was a break between, I think, 2008 and 2014, it looks like, in terms of releases. But other than that, it's like an album every other year or every year for the most part. Yeah, I think that was when he was going through a divorce, yeah. I believe. He has, uh, one, he has a kid, and, and that was the divorce era. Yeah. So we did get a comment over at Patreon from Aaron that I want to read. He said, I had never heard of Hamill on trial, but waiting in line for a tasty organic donut at a festival in Australia, I could hear this raucous noise and laughter coming from a nearby tent stage. So I wandered in to have a look. Listen, by the end of the gig, I was a fan. I do believe Ed is better experienced live, but listening to his albums Always puts a grin on my face. This is not an album you listen to a lot, but I do enjoy his sense of humor and his take on unsavory topics. P.S. This man can rock an acoustic guitar with more power than a lot of metal bands and is more punk than most so-called punk bands. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. His live shows are... I mean, he commands the room. It's it's something else to see. I mean, everybody's got to try it once. It's... He's always keeping it cheap. Every show is is cheap. Uh, size the size of the crowd is usually small, and he likes to play in um, unusual places, uh, theater halls, or or in, in, he plays. He's played in um, that burlesque joint in in uh, Clintonville a few times in Columbus, uh, and but. Yeah, it is something like he when he's on stage, it's him. You know, it's him talking and singing and telling stories to the crowd, and you are listening to him. And if you're if you try to engage, which a lot of people do, you'll 
you'll either feel his wrath or he'll work it right into the show and, and move on. It's it's like he's got the the timing of a com, com a comic. And he's got the he's got the songs. He's got the chops. He can just kill it on the guitar. It's 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 really awesome. Really is live. Well, all right. Let's get into the record then. Jay, tell me one Tim. thing you liked about Chooch Town by Hamill on Trial. It's hard not to like the energy. It's hard not to like the the attitude that comes through on the record. Um, you know, the way that he plays acoustic guitar um, is, is pretty unique. It's very aggressive. Uh, you know, some of these... Um, some of these songs, you know, they sound like punk riffs or metal riffs, um, you know, but they're, they're played on acoustic, um, and delivered with, you know, kind of a lo-fi recording style. Um, so, you know, that idea of, you know, what is punk, what is, what is metal, what is like rock and roll attitude, but it has like a almost like a folk sensibility to it, you know, which is interesting in that, you know, I think we've talked at least, you know, we reviewed a back record that had this like alternophil kind of approach. Um, and I, there was some of that going on in the nineties. So it's good to mm-hmm. dig into another record that has that, um, concept behind it and spirit behind it. Um, you know, the, I think there's at the heart of the record, there's, some really good songwriting and I think he's, he's actually, you know, I think a pretty capable singer, uh, even though there's a lot of spoken stuff on here, he's able to do, um, you know, a song like I'm going to watch you sleep, which, you know, is pretty melodic. Man, you look so beautiful. I could gaze for hours cause I really get a kick here. Wonder what you dream, your eyes just gave a little flicker. Dream, beautiful dream. Knowing you the way I do, I figure you're dreaming by the summer on the ocean. There in Provincetown, you read a book and spread the lotion. But he's also able, like, Hamill's Ramble to deliver, like, a uh, almost rap style, like, spoken word like fast cadence um kind of thing as well so you get a lot of variety um you know vocally from it you know I, but i think in all i like when you know it it skews more song oriented it's a little bit you know down more down the straight rock and roll vibe and i think he can you know I, I would love to hear some of these songs like done as full band too, because I think they would be, I think it's interesting to hear him in the acoustic only format, but I think some of the material here, like song like Judy, for example, I think would sound awesome with full blast, you know, full on band behind it. Um, even if it was like an alternate version or like, you know, a band took it and did it, you know, I think there's some good material on here that, um, that would sound pretty damn cool with a full band. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the, um, when he's committed to be, you know, a songwriter, he shows a little bit more of his personality and his point of view and a little less of the storytelling. And, uh, you know, he walks that line between still delivering the attitude with the kind of spoken vocal, 
but slipping into some melody here and there. I agree with you. Uh, there's parts of the record, like you mentioned, Judy and, and Chooch Town and when Bobby comes down, where I got this really strong, like, Richard Hell vibe. And, mm. and, and it reminded me of, like, the Blank Generation album, which I'm a big fan of. And it just had this, like, 70s New York, you know, vibe to it with this kind of – it's punk, but it's not the – what you think of in terms of the Ramones with the power chords and bashing and stuff like that. It's got this street swagger to it that I – that's the stuff that really worked for me when there's a – like you said, when when you can sing – the melody as opposed to just, you know, the spoken word stuff. And there's a lot of like spoken word stuff that it doesn't work um, in terms of yeah. their, their album pieces. And um, it's a, it's not a long album uh, time wise, but it's a long album track wise. And I could have easily lost some of those talkier things. Um, but I dug it when, it gave me that like sleazy seventies New York vibe because that's his stories that he's telling. Yep. Yeah, that's funny because I I got the even even like not paying attention to the words, but just the way he phrases things and sings. I definitely got the New York, specifically this New York New Jersey like seventies vibe. And I was trying to figure out like to compare it to other artists, but it was like just a general like. Man, this sounds like Jake Isles or something, or like, like the, the just the way that he phrases things and sings, like it just was very familiar to that vibe well, to me. Which is funny that you, that's, you mentioned that. That's like the the barroom vibe, right? He's, yeah, he's got yeah, a, yeah, yeah. And and he talks about uh, his his stint. Well, and he grew up in Syracuse. He spent a lot of his life in Syracuse, and he worked in a lack of a better term, a crack bar for two years as a bartender. And he says he's got almost entire careers worth of, of story songs out of that two years that he spent there. So, you know, this is a great example. All these characters that are in the story are supposedly based on, on real people, real events, uh, changing the names to protect the innocent, of course. And, uh, but yeah, he's, this is actually a good time for me to drop in this quote I wrote down. I think I found this on Amazon. Uh, about you were talking about the the folk music part of it, and obviously he's got you know he plays an acoustic guitar and you know he yeah. walks around. If you just see the guy, you think he's gonna be a folky. But this quote from Amazon said, "If you're looking for a ballad sung by some tearful folky, Hamill on Trial is going to offend you." And that kind of summarizes you know the the folk part of it. Now, obviously. He infuses folk into his punk, into his rock and roll, into his – I mean he's even got some jazzier stuff mixed in and you know, uh, maybe some klezmer even sometimes. Like you said, the, the uh, New Jersey sound seeps mm-hmm. in. So that's – it's that's pretty uh, pretty astute to pick up on that just from the this record itself you know, because he's got made a whole career based on um, you know, basically – in a bar, in a bar. He's got a song called In a Bar, which is one of his big hits in, yeah. in, on the Mercury years. Yeah, and that's what, yeah, that's what a lot of those bands, that culture-wise, that's just what it was about. And it came through in a lot of the songs and just the banter and the 
way they talked and phrased things and the musical influences. Um, you definitely like on the lottery, you hear kind of like a, a 60s, almost rockabilly kind of thing going on there, which is very prominent, you know, in, in, in that New Jersey bar sound scene. is some horns on here there um is it uh, uh there's like a trumpet yeah oh that's right i was thinking like horn section but yeah there's like a trumpet um on one of the tunes um and it just he's a i guess what makes this a little bit different than a lot of maybe when i went into this or would compare it to some other albums that you know are a little bit more like lo-fi and um, rougher. I mean, he's a really good guitar player. Mm-hmm. I, I think that under, under all of this is a very capable guitar player, um, which I think helps quite a bit. It like it lets him do a lot of different things and play with a ton of confidence. Yeah, I took a friend to a, a show back in the '90s when he played. I think he played uh, the Newport and. My friend had no clue, you know, that I said, you don't need to know anything. Just walk in and and we'll watch. And uh, at, the, at the end of the show, he was blown away. But he always refers to that show as seeing the greatest guitarist that ever lived. Because <laughs> 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 you see yeah. him do it and you're like, and he makes it look so easy, just like great guitarists do. So it's uh, you just hear that, hear how much um, talent is mixed into very – you know he doesn't he doesn't branch out too much in the guitar but you just hear his talent in in what he actually plays some of the stuff reminded me of of his vocal and um his delivery into like he would affect a little bit of an accent there was like a john spencer vibe that was going on that uh. like nancy's got a new boyfriend like to me that that sounds like it could have been like a like a John Spencer song in some respects. You know, it doesn't have that the grease <laughs> that he lays on and uh but it, you know, there's this weird combination where some of it has like you mentioned the rockabilly jay and there is this weird you know that's born out of blues. Yeah. And there's this definitely this it's it's not apparent I think upon first listen, but there's this simplicity that draws that, 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 uh, if you give it a couple listens where you can hear like a, a, a blues influence on a lot of these songs, especially cause they're so short yeah. for the most part. Well, I think Nancy's got a new boyfriend. That's to me, my, um, my ear here is a, a Jay Giles band song played at four times the speed. <laughs> like if you listen to the riff you're like okay yeah that's a bluesy kind of slinky riff but he's just playing it really fucking fast and 
you know, it's just at a tempo and a raw uh, production and performance um, that kind of throws you. But when you break it down, you're like, okay, yeah, I get what, you know, what the core of that is. And if you play it slower and, you know, added the second guitar and had drums and you can kind of see what, uh, what it could be or where, you know, what, what it's related to. She's seen an El Camino, so she stuck out her thumb. Here we go again. Nancy got a new boyfriend. He had a story. When they parked by the night, he was dropping. After dark, and the cash was sweeter than a Burger King shake. She barely used the gun that he asked her to take. She stole the car from the motel sex. She seen a hitchhiker. He was in a fix. He had two grams of white. He had an Uzi of green. He was the cutest damn thing that she ever seen. Here we go again. Nancy got a new boyfriend. Patrick, what works best for you on this record? I like everything you guys are talking about. I mean, it, it kind of... Um... You know, the sounds-wise, of course, I you know, there's blues influence, there's or a little bit of rockabilly, there's punk, obviously, and, and folk. Um, but the what I like best is uh, his his demeanor. You know, it, he he comes up, he's unique in that he comes off with a very very authoritative uh, delivery, uh, very authoritative lyrics. Uh, he's telling you how things are, but it's not like cocky. It's kind of like like a wake up call. It's like I'm just truthful. I'm saying what everybody else is thinking, kind of a thing. Even when he tells these stories, and the songs are about these characters doing things. I mean, he's he's reciting their stories in a way that's like, yeah, I guess that is a, is definitely a perspective on it. And you know whether or not you agree with it or not, uh, or you whether or not you have the same perspective is irrelevant because this is real and it's true, you know, um, that's, that part of it comes through on pretty much all of his albums to me. And this one in particular, because of the character, character portraits that he does. Um, and speaking of characters, um, you guys talking about blues and, uh, he'll always do and his guitar playing. He, he always in a couple of his songs, especially his, his, um, signature song, which is the meeting, the meeting or the meeting, uh, gonna be a meeting. He sings. Uh, it's um, he plays like he'll do like a muddy riff, uh, muddy waters riff in there as part of the song. Like you'll hear him cite it and then play it. Um, and he'll play you know Johnny Cash and he'll play some rockabilly mixed in. And and the thing is, he what he's done since you know the blow up of the record sales industry. For him, you know, he's a guy that goes on the road 200, 200 days out of the year and plays these shows and sells CDs in order to, you know, pay for his um, habit <laughs> of playing music. Um, but uh, when the record sales, you know, dried up, he started painting. Well, he's been painting all along, and the cover of the Chooch Town album is one of his paintings. So he's got this interesting um style of painting which is very folky but childish but cartoonish but also very expressive as well and so he started painting um his heroes basically anybody that that he identifies with as an artist 
could be on one of his paintings. And then he sells these paintings at the show instead of CDs. So if you go if you go to see him live, you walk to the merch table, he's got, you know, 20, 20 or 30 paintings for sale. And his son is sitting there uh, with the uh, with the square ready to swipe your card. Uh-huh. So that's that's how he's doing it these days. And and it actually paints a great portrait of who he is, because if you look at who he puts on his paintings, he's not, you know, there's no Taylor Swift, you know, they're, they're all famous people, but they're people that have influenced him in one way or another. And, and during, um, so you'll see like, um, you know, Johnny Cash, I mentioned, and if you do a Google search on any of his paintings, you'll see a whole bunch of, of famous people like Salvador Dali and, Bill Hicks, and uh, which he's uh, obviously has a has a song on this album about, about Bill Hicks because it was right after he passed away, and um, you know all these you know uh, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Jello Biafra, you know these are Mike Watt, uh, Joe Strummer, these are his heroes, you know so Patti Smith, Banksy, um, so he's kind of painting a portrait of his psyche when he writes his songs with his paintings, so. It is very much steeped in history of music, including everything you guys talked about. So it's, you know, anybody that's a music historian or uh, just loves uh, old stuff that that influenced everything that you hear now, um, I think that's what I like best about his performance and his music because it, it, it speaks to all of that history, you know. So that, that's my favorite part. Very cool. <laughs> cool. All right, now we got to get to the to the unpleasant part. Jay. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what didn't work for you on this record. Well, I'm not a big fan of the kind of spoken word album like things, the go fuck yourself and shout outs and it's almost comedy album territory. So I I could do without that. There's some of the songs like Uncle Morris, like the stories are just so creepy and weird and people are so weird that like I have a hard time with the songs. Um, So, you know, and and some of the, I don't, I don't know if I love when he does the full band thing. So like when Bobby comes down, it's more of a a full like four piece band sounding um, and, and there's nothing wrong with the way it's recorded. Like I'm fine with that. I like the, you know, that kind of basementy room sound. It just doesn't have the attitude that I, I think I like on the material that works better. It sounds too kind of soft and goofy. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I struggle with. I, there's a sense of humor here that I don't know that I get, um, and it just comes off as kind of weird and goofy. Um, and whether it be the, the album tracks that are, you know, more performance pieces or the songs where it's, you know, more band oriented and it loses that edge. Um, so that's the, that's the stuff that, that tended to not work, uh, for me. Say goodbye. Yeah, the body always starts out really cool. Then Bobby's got. 
I tended to like the band stuff because it got more into the, you know, the territory I'm more comfortable with. I think I I have I have a weird uncomfortableness with the the very aggressive singer songwriter acoustic in your face performer. Mm, yeah, like I find it off putting, and I I don't want to I like. The, I'm, I have the opposite reaction of people who probably really enjoy it. I get like really uncomfortable that this person is so aggressive in front of me <laughs> with, <laughs> with their performance, and I want to like leave. That's interesting. Okay, yeah. even on record. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care for those songs. I was like, get out of my head. You're this is. <laughs> but when it, but when it turns into a band, then it like seems more distant and and i can i can uh focus on everything that's going on as opposed to just this one person shouting at me but i i completely agree i don't i really don't like the opening track and i think it like it when that song started i was like oh no what is this like I was really concerned that that was going to be the whole record. It was like, was like Patrick, what you what are you doing to us? <laughs> well, I mean that's exactly what he wants, and that's and that's what's uh, truly fascinating about him when you see him live because he, what you don't get from the record is his smirks and his you know he's yeah. not winking he's not winking at you, but he's looking at you, and he knows and, and he's delivering his message directly when you're when it's live so i think all of the things that you guys have said i, I actually kind of i'm not going to say you guys are predictable but i was thinking that, <laughs> that that's how it was going to be predictable it's all right not, um because you know uh you're listening to a record without context of these anything being performed live and that's exactly what this show is about most most of the time anyway so uh that's great that's fine but like the opening track is also uh, just, you know, it's go F yourself for those that haven't looked at the track listing. And it's basically him just, um, it, there's like a, a drone or something in the background and he's spouting off these little lines and, and saying, go F yourself. And that's, it, it sets the stage for the record, but it also, it also is a great pinpoint in his career because he's coming out of his Mercury Records days and they had absolutely no clue how to market this guy. You know, I mean, he's not a easily marketable, you know, performer in sure. any, any stretch of the imagination. I mean, certain, certainly can write a write some melodies and, and stuff that, that's catchy. And he's, in, you know, he's slightly influenced by the Beatles a little bit here and there. But most of the time it's um, in your face and it's, you know, when they put their records out. When you want to talk about soft, I mean, he's he's even instead of shouting the words, he's talking about talking like this sometimes, and he's reciting his lines and his poetry like this. So it, they were trying different things, and they had much bigger uh, horn sections and things like that. And the songs did work in some fashion for what they did, but it wasn't nearly as successful as when. He just lets himself go and do his own thing and forget about, you know, whether we're going to 
you know, write a hit song or not. This is like real. This is punk music. This is life. And, you know, he's got it. He wrote a, a, a tour called the terrorism of everyday life, which is, is uh, both on Ed's not dead. A little bit of that. It's on there, but the, the show is on a double album or an album called, um, it's a righteous babe records release called rant and roll where the first album is the live CD and then the second CD is a well, second disc is a DVD, which is um, him performing live, but also like some of the stuff on the road and, you know, of, of him in the backstage and, and, and talking about life and how he encapsulates what happens to people in their lifetime in songs. You know, it's like, this is real. This isn't like, you know, I'm going to write a big hook song, big, you know, big hook for the hit record. I'm going to write a song that, that, you know, it's going to make Tim squirm in his seat. <laughs> but, but it makes you think, especially afterwards, you're like, Oh yeah, he really made a good point there. So there's, um, you know, it's, 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 he, his politics are unabashedly extremely left and he talks about this, and I think it's in the Terrorism of Everyday Life sh show, uh, that he was hired by uh, somebody to do a show in New York City. There was going to be a convention, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, the guy called him up and said, I want you here. You're, you're my man. And um, he found out after he said yes that it was a Republican convention, I think, in New York City. And uh, he calls him back and says, hey. You booked me for a Republican convention. He goes, yeah, that's exactly what I want. So this guy, he goes and performs his his show uh, to all these people that are clearly uh, on the opposite spectrum politically than him. And they are laughing their asses off, loving everything he says until slowly that he starts offending people throughout the show. Because first they think it's, you know, a joke is a show, you know, that kind of thing. Then they start to realize this is real deal. And then they start leaving. And he goes, the place cleared out by the end of the show. And the guy came up to him. He gave him his money. He's like, thank you, man. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so yeah, he's uh, he's the real deal when you go see him live, especially. So I think with the perspective of, of, of a live performance, the song's, <laughs> They take on, and yeah, that's with any band. Uh, they take on a new life, whether it's better or worse, um, depending on what type of a performer they are. But um, reality always sticks. And even, like I said, if you, if you see him perform some of the songs that you thought were, um, you know, offensive in any way or just uncomfortable it's different live because you know you see him and you're like okay this is him he's presenting his side of the case you know it's hamill on trial right it was it was a joke to begin with the name but it's stuck and that's exactly what he does every night he he puts himself out there i i don't Would have you, any problem with the material like i was not a, i didn't get offended by anything oh no i don't i'm not a i'm not a pansy well I'm the uncomfortable part <laughs> No, the uncomfortable part is the performance. Tim's uncomfortable with intimacy. It's the intimacy. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, the, he, you know, it's he my pours Catholicism his about his about his life and his parents and his mom. I mean, it's something. There's, uh, I mean, just to throw you a, a loop here, he he's got a piece, and it's like a 
it's got a, it's a poem basically. First, he tells a story about his friends uh, that make him laugh and and how his he he was with his his mom when she passed away and it was a very touching moment. But then they had these jokes and I'm not going to go into it because he tells it such in such a great way. Uh, but then he goes into his story and it starts off with a very touching, poignant, you know, super personal poem about his mom and his dad how he's had he first of all he had this incredible relationship with his dad he's uh a lot like him you can tell just by the way he described uh his dad and then his they were married for 50 years and i know i'm gonna miss the quotes here but it's they were married for 50 years um and then she lost her mind she got uh dementia and she didn't recognize herself didn't recognize him anymore and his father ended up killing her and killing himself, wrote a suicide note and left it for Ed and told him why he did it. So this is like real hard stuff to hear and and very uncomfortable for the fans. But he says it in such a way that it's like this is part of life and this is part of death is part of life. And I know that's a horrible way to go for many people a horrible way to experience life but uh it's the real deal and he puts it into his art somehow which is uh you know you see that and then you see you see him do that and then you see him do you know nancy's got a new boyfriend or something and then and and it's you know puts different perspectives on uh you know his shouting at you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? On the record, not about the live stuff, because we can't speak yeah. to that. But any songs that I mean, you don't particularly like? No, uh, probably not, because I, you know, like the song, like The Lottery uh, and Disconnected, those were songs that I played on the radio because they were less offensive and they don't were Don't have catchy, any swears. You know, they didn't have any swears and... Uh, but they also had a catchy chorus and and but it was, you know, a, not the typical pop song that you hear. Um, so even those songs that are uh, they're not frivolous to the storyline because the story, even though it's kind of a loose story, kind of and even the song, uh, the shout outs. I mean, the the shout outs is is like a radio de- disc jockey taking calls from listeners that can say whatever they want on the air you know shout out all right interesting evening interesting evening who we got here this is nancy you got a shout out there yeah i want to shout out to all the guys i bet you do baby i bet you do anybody in particular anybody in particular no, just all the guys. All right, okay, yeah. Let's do some more of these. Next caller, what you got to say here? I did not win the lottery. It's the characters in the songs, you know? Some of them are the characters in the song. Some of them are saying things about the characters in the song. So it's kind of a, it just gives you one more level of understanding yeah but it's like a skit on a rap album it's like i only need to listen to it once <laughs> and then i never need to listen to it again yeah maybe so but i mean it's 
I don't it you know two minutes and in, in between a few songs is not a big deal to me but so I let I you know I like to listen to albums and that's I don't have another album to review right after this one <laughs> like yeah man we're jumping right into the next record <laughs> right. it never yeah. ends it never ends for us um so you play this on the radio do you know if they, this got any sort of outside of maybe college radio i can't imagine this getting played on any main like he did was, cd 101 play this uh you know they they didn't i don't think they played any of his stuff but they knew of him because of i think because of um him playing in town and that kind of thing and and there is there was a little bit of a buzz there in the late 90s for him in columbus um but no, I don't think they ever played it. It's just too far outside of the realm of regular, you know, alternative pop right. rock, you know. So, no, I doubt it. And, and But, you know, he's really – it was – I wish I had – there is one review of Chooch Town uh, on the internet, and I couldn't find it uh, before uh, today. And it basically – is the catalyst for his uh, success in Europe. Like he's got a pretty big following in Ireland and Scotland and Europe. And he goes there every year uh, pretty much. And it all stems from one review and the release of Chooch Town, which was pretty successful over there. So I don't know, you know, some of the, um, some of your listeners from Europe might know his name even more so than Americans. Interesting. All right, we got to do it. We got to get to that point where we ask the question Were the album better EP and decent single? We got some answers. We got some responses from our poll, which we'll get to after we level our decision. Jay, where do you land? Were the album better EP or decent single? I am landing at an EP. I've got, uh, to me, the record really kicks in with. Hamill's Ramble. Um, I think I'm going to watch you sleep. I listened to the live version of that, and uh, I might even like the live version better, but it's probably the uh, one of the better written songs on the record. Disconnected I like. Um, Judy, Joe Brush. And I, we didn't talk about it, but the, the Bill Hicks song uh, and the Ascension acoustic thing, I, I really enjoyed. I'm a fan of Bill Hicks, and... Um, again, it, it's one of the. You're a fan of Bill Hicks. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, interesting. Uh, you're not. What's wrong with I've you? I've never really listened to Bill Hicks. I don't know. That's uh, why he's not a fan. I, I, I I'm not anti Bill Hicks. I'm more a George Carlin guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I think it's it's actually a another well-written song it's melodic um and then that acoustic piece that that uh, precedes it just shows off his uh his ability to play acoustic guitar it's almost an oddity on the record when you get to that track you're like what am i on the same record or did i what happened um so that would be my ep lose all the goofy stuff and uh the band songs well <laughs> i'm also at an ep but n- not your ep <laughs> <laughs> We got a double EP here. Yeah, I, I would be with uh, when Bobby comes down. Uh, Nancy's got a new boyfriend. Chooch Town. 
Judy, the lottery. What is that? And I do like I'm gonna watch you sleep. I think that would fit on there as well, because it's got I like that whatever he's doing on the guitar, that like um, plucking, percussive mm-hmm. plucking that he's doing. Um, it's I like that better than just the intense strum that sounds like he's just like running his fingers across a washboard. Like I don't I don't necessarily love that style of guitar playing all the time. So. I guess that's six songs. So I'd be at a six-song EP for this. Patrick, we know that you're at a worthy album, correct? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's good. Yeah, it's 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 a great album in my opinion, and it 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 actually isn't a. I wouldn't say it's the the perfect introduction to Hamill on Trial uh, if you've never heard him before necessarily, only because there's unless it's. It's just unless it, it piques your interest a little bit, because then, you know, his other albums, this album is probably his least sociopolitical of all of them. Uh, he gets into some really uh, heavy stuff sometimes. Um, and he stands up for people that usually that that don't have the biggest voices in the world and in some of his songs. So it's that kind of stuff on his other albums and and live, of course, um, show different sides of him. But this one, you know, you mentioned the Bill Hicks thing and the, the melodies that he writes on some of those slower songs or ballads or whatever. Um, you know, he writes song songs about his he, – he has a couple songs about his mom that are kind of like that. And so those songs juxtaposed with, um, you know, the, the brash songs is – is is great and it comes across in other albums probably more so than this one but you guys have definitely meant both mentioned that so that's part of this record as well in some fashion uh you mentioned chooch town and and did you guys pick up on um it's kind of, i guess it's kind of like a reference to maybe the dead milkman or you know um in Chooch Town, where he breaks down in the middle, and and it's Chooch now talking, saying, "Hey, Baldy, you write songs about everybody. Why don't you write a song about me?" And Hamill says, "Well, here, I got one for you. Here, how it goes, you know." And he sings Chooch Town in the town in the tune of uh, Downtown, which is an old uh, '60s soul song, and which reminded me of um, the Dead Milkman. Uh, Bitch and Camaro, right? They they're singing the Doors, but they make their own lyrics to it. They sing mm. uh, "Love Me Two Times, Baby." That's so. I think that it, not only does he tap into little segments of punk history, but uh, there, you know, he played it. It was I don't I can't even remember who did Downtown. Was it the Coasters or somebody like that? One of those like bands, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's. I like it. I like the record all through from beginning to end. Um, the ending is the Bill Hicks part, which is poignant and says a lot about himself because that's exact. You know, he he's, you know, dedicating that performance to to Bill Hicks and his memory. And I agreed with the sentiment. I, it would be uh, really interesting if Bill Hicks was still alive. What's what's going on in the world today? Right, and and he was quoted in some interview one time talking about art and you know being a a voice, uh, a unique voice in 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 music, 
And he said, you know, if it doesn't pay off, I'm paraphrasing and probably getting it wrong, but it's something along the lines of if it doesn't pay off while he's alive, he at least hopes that art, right, you know, the cream rises to the top, you know, kind of a thing uh, after he's gone. And and he's like, I'm just out there hammering, doing my thing. And hopefully this is, you know, something that, that people appreciate even after I'm gone, which is exactly what happened with Bill Hicks. You know, he, yeah. he was popular right at the end of his life and then uh, probably became more popular after he passed away. Well, here we are talking about it. So there yeah. you go. I do want to mention that our poll ended up 60-40 between Worthy Album and Decent Single. So some people were not wow. on board with the with That's the, the first record. time, isn't it? Yeah, well, I that's bet, a very stark uh, difference. What would the Decent Single be? It's got to be Hamill's Ramble, Perhaps. in my opinion. They, that, that, they, one's, that one is the most like a lot of his other records is Hamill's Ramble. So if you if you listen to that song, you kind of get a, a taste of of a lot of his other stuff. But just the way it sounds, you know, he's always saying something different. He's always telling jokes in the story and his his performance too. So when you talk about it being, um, you know, almost comedy territory, he'll stop in the middle of a song, or he'll he'll start a song and then stop and go, wait, I got to tell you the story, and and it ends up being hilarious or. A, a take that you never thought you'd you'd hear from a, a stage before. So, right. let me see if I got one more quote for you. I think I do. Uh, this one's from himself. Sometimes it's pretty discouraging pick, picking a life in the arts, particularly if you're trying to have a distinctive voice. But there's nothing that gives me a thrill besides hanging with my wife and son. Like playing music, nothing. Everything else is nothing. It's just a pain in my ass to get to the next gig. <laughs> so that's, oh. a, that's a true troubadour there. That is a troubadour. No, that's a per- that's a perfect word for that. Uh, Patrick, you've done it again. You've brought something unique and personal to us, and I appreciate that. <laughs> You got it, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate what you guys do. And um, keep up the I – mean, I can't believe how <laughs> how hard you guys work, man. You got to do this. Sometimes you're doing it twice, three times a week, right? This is – Yeah, sometimes. So, sometimes it gets a little – the schedule gets a little compacted. But uh, – I mean I picked this album – three months ago and and it took me three months to get ready for today so. <laughs> we get a week right every week well, we're what, we're churning and burning so if you're it, you you and the other um patrons on because you then you guys do all the work yeah right that's true <laughs> yeah we're doing all the work yes <laughs> <laughs> well if if if, if if you like what you hear, fans out there, fans of Dig Me Out, if you like what you hear from Hamill, go buy his paintings. <laughs> Listen to his songs, Don't. of course, because music's free now, right? Right. Go buy his paintings. They're fun. Well, yeah, if you great. go on to Spotify, this album actually is uh, – it has an extended version with uh, a bunch of outtakes and alternate versions and, and whatnot. It's actually 27 tracks. The original album is 16, and then there's 27 tracks – from the re-release yeah the 20th anniversary and they actually put that on vinyl which i don't think was originally on vinyl so that was 
uh, the 20th anniversary release. So when I said he only sold 300 copies, I was probably exaggerating. I don't know how many he sold, but uh, there's probably that many in, in vinyl out there, and uh, you can pick it up. I, I got a couple copies. I'll bring you one over, Tim. Cool. Then you can be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit in my in my house and, and be uncomfortable. So records. Tim, you you won't be uh, having any house party uh, concerts. <laughs> no at your place. No. Is that your worst nightmare? That could that would that'd be close. <laughs> he does nightmare. He does house shows. I don't. I, I've never been to a house show either. And and there yeah, are people that have come through Columbus that I love, like Matt Talbot from Hum came and played Columbus, and I was like, nope. <laughs> Some people will terrify your clowns. Tim's a terrified of a very intimate acoustic performance. Like, what if they look at you in the eyes? <laughs> they will. <laughs> That's the worst. I don't want that. No. <laughs> Keep the veil up. Uh want to remind everyone, Patreon is the place to go to become a patron for as little as $2 a month. You can support the podcast, join the union, you can also subscribe to our new newsletter, The Box, delivered weekly. Reviews of new releases, all the content that we put out during the week, and more. You can get the uh, 80s episodes, so all the bonus content. Yep. And you don't even have to give any money to Patreon. You just uh, give it to Substack instead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah, go ahead over to our website. There's, it's linked up there in the footer, and there's a banner at the top of the site. And, of course, if you like what you heard, Apple Podcasts is the place to leave us some positive feedback. So for JM Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com he had cancer i wish bill hicks was alive and i would bring my friends to see Bill do brilliant comedy.